Welcome to the Propaganda Report. I'm Monica Perez, and as always, my co-host Brad Binkley and I are here bringing you a very special guest in a very timely fashion. I have been so excited to speak to our guest of today, and I was kind of hoping that I could pick his brain and he could change my world forever, and maybe he will, but we have some more current events to talk about because he was banned from Twitter yesterday. There's so much stuff going on. And with that, let us welcome the Ice Age Farmer. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you Christian, your first name. How are you doing, Christian? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Monica and Brad. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, this could not be a, uh, I didn't think we were going to be able to get you because you and I were communicating through DM on Twitter. And I realized that we hadn't exchanged email addresses. I sent you an email on ProtonMail and it kicked back to me. And I was like, ProtonMail? But then it did. I, I sent another one and it seemed to have gotten through because here we are. But I kind of, I was so happy we had a network of kind of podcasters and stuff. And I put out the word I was looking for you. And uh, so I can't believe that you have the time for this and that we found each other. But could you just kind of tell us, uh, give us context for people who aren't really following the blow by blow. What happened to you and what's going on now? What you think we should watch out for in the next week or two? <laughs> that is indeed the million dollar question. Um, and it was not just my account, right? Ice Age Farmer on Twitter, which is where I was broadcasting mostly, it's important to note, mostly about food. I was not out there talking about Q and these things going to come save us or trust the plan, um, which seems to be what everyone is lumping the 400,000 odd accounts that were suspended off Twitter there. Oh, those were all the, you know, the Trump supporters who were calling for violence. Or it was all the QAnon cult. No, I was talking about food and the threats to our food supply. And actually Twitter did amend their use policy several months back to specifically call out food shortages as something that you were not allowed to talk about on Twitter under the guise of incitement, which is, again, it's that term they're using now. Um, so it was not just I that lost my account, but, uh, but no, this is go time to answer your question. What's going on now is it is go time. And we've sort of been there on the cusp for some time now, but the enemy is actively cutting off our communications and we should be careful to understand that this is not a left versus right sort of, you know, the left is shutting down the free speech and kind of a thing. This is an attack taking down our communications, trying to stop the flow of information. It is exactly what you attempt to do in conventional warfare when you cut the enemy's communications lines. And we're just in fourth uh, generation warfare right now. So this is what it looks like in fourth generation warfare when the enemy comes in to cut off the communications of all of free, critically thinking humanity. And, uh, and so we need to then extrapolate, well, if that's what you do in normal warfare, and we're seeing that now, what happens next? Because conventional warfare dictates you cut off their comms, you take away their supplies, and indeed, that's what's next, is they're actively taking away our supply chain and specifically our food supply. And so the conversation that I've been having for years is suddenly incredibly relevant to this moment right now. It has nothing to do with um, trying to silence Trump supporters or the election, although that's certainly the, the mechanism that they've thrown into the gears to kick this whole thing off. It's just one attack on humanity of this multi-pronged attack. And I think there's a lot to break down here, but I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you here yeah. today. And thank you, because it is a very important conversation. So, so thanks yeah, for having and it's me good to just get it out there and I'm sure people will share. But I was so surprised to see that you're, you were taken down because that is what I thought. I said, wow, he, it just proved to me that you were absolutely right about the, the food issue. And another thing that reminded me of you, because that all, you know, I just didn't know how real it was even earlier this year, what you were talking about. 
uh, and I was just reading a book about the counterinsurgency or whatever, like our military intelligence in Vietnam. And the three prongs that they were using were assassination of leadership, migration just of peoples, disconnecting them from their communities and putting them in other communities where they didn't know how to grow food or had no ability, no rights to the land there. That was really a big part of the connection. And then the third thing was just simple starvation to keep them from really being able to focus on anything else. And as all this stuff is coming together, I realized how right you were. And when your Twitter account came down, I was like, well, that's proof positive. Yeah. And and so if there's nothing else people take away from the conversation today, it's that we are headed into food shortages imminently now. And and we should come back to that. But you know what? You asked what's going on this week. And I think that is, that's certainly a highlight is the the cutting of communications. But um, stepping back from that a little bit, it's really that we are entering into the densest, thickest fog of war that I think I've ever seen. It's, it's, It's both that there is this battle playing out right now. And then I think there are psyops layered very densely on top of that. And so maybe it's helpful just in terms of um, maintaining one's own sanity to sort of take a breath and, and just appreciate that you are in the midst of what must be the most complicated and crazy psychological operation that humanity has ever witnessed. So take a breath and just try and appreciate that for a second, even as you try and work out what's going on right now. You know, today Trump gave a speech and there were nearly a million people um, just on the right side broadcasting network watching it. So everybody is really tuned in to what he's saying. Is he going to say, you know, the storm is here. What's anyone is just looking for some sign of what's going on right now. Is the election interference going to be called out? What's, how is this going to play out? See, I um, saw that word, the storm in all these articles on CNN and MSNBC, when they were talking about these, the insurgents that are going to come on the 20th and they kept putting storm in quotations in all of their articles. And I'm like, that seems like a little bit incitement in and of itself to me. Yeah. And it's stunning. You're exactly right, Brad. And what they've done is, and Trump's speech is so carefully crafted, in my opinion, to be playing both sides of this. And I don't mean in a political way, like, oh, I want to don't, I don't want to say uh, incite violence. I mean, it is to a T. He's saying that the 25th Amendment will be invoked on Biden, which of course means that Biden will sit in that chair. That only applies to the president. So he's saying the transition of power will happen. So he's giving a a nod that way. But then he mentions the rule of law. And there's a guy sitting in the audience who stands out from everybody else. He's got a red jersey on with the number 17. Everyone else is wearing black. That's exactly. So 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 all the Q followers are like, well, Trump didn't give us the the nuggets we were hoping for, but there's the 17. So it's all going to happen on on inauguration day right now. So it's, it's really quite spectacular. They're playing both sides of this and sort of stringing everybody along just waiting for something the psychic energy building up right now it's just off the charts and it is something else right now it's been amazing to me how people how many people cannot see through they literally are taking a side like biden or trump and it's it is almost a childlike um theater it's you can almost see the strings of the puppets i think like i it is hard for me to even find people who who really, well, I really think Trump is an actor playing his role, whether he knows the bigger implications of that or not. I think he's not laying in bed at night thinking, what should I tweet next? I, I just don't think so. And, but it's hard to find people who agree with me. It's amazing. But, but what the proof is in the pudding in that if we do, I, I, I pegged him as the censorship president coming in or that he'd bankrupt the country. And those things are basically coming to fruition. But if I mentioned 
that to someone, they'll say, but that wasn't his fault. And I'm like, but you know, I kind of thought he was going to do it and here it is. And maybe it didn't, it didn't unfold in a what you see is what you get kind of way, but this is the result. And you know, I say if we had you know, defended the Constitution the whole time or whatever, maybe people wouldn't be so blinded by all of this, really stuck to principles, which he cleverly made sure we did not. Mm-hmm. But here we are. And it's and I do agree with you. It is psyop upon psyop. And it's almost like nothing isn't a psyop. And even the virtual world that the media is piping into us really could possibly have no bearing. I know people who were there on January 6th. I have tons and tons of video of it. It seems to have no bearing whatsoever to what the, what the mainstream is, media is portraying. Right. It's, it's totally a show. It's, it's completely a scripted show that's going on. And you do have to concede that it's a very compelling one, right? If, if you're just watching from home, you see um, either some guy who's taking over the nation and is about to do some crazy stuff, or you see a guy who's going to finally get rid of the child trafficking pedophile. You know, either way, you really want to believe that something good is about to happen. So it's, it's, I understand why people get sucked into it and want to believe these things. And I think then it's helpful to sort of step back and recognize that Actually, either way it goes, we're in a world of hurt right now. We're going to have tremendous amounts of civil unrest going forward. Either Biden is going to, you know, just just a sort of war game either scenario here. Either Biden takes the, the helm here. He's already, you know, his whole slogan is build back better, which comes straight from the World Economic yeah. Forum. And so we're going to walk straight down the highway to hell of the UN World Economic Forum Um, agenda 2030 path there with quarantine camps and vaccinations and synthetic food and everything we'd really rather not explore, but that's what's on the plate for us. If we go that route or Trump takes a victory, but then this is a recipe for disaster too. I was just reading earlier today, some uh, the the recipe for revolution, which involves basically everything we've already seen going on with, with the left um, people that are in positions of power uh, going against the government, the delegitimization of the government, the media working against it. And then most importantly, I think giving and taking away of hope. And that has been exactly what has gone down with this whole office of the president elect Biden's here. He's almost going to save us. He's going to end this horrible uh, political disaster that Trump has been. And finally we'll get back on our progressive agenda. And then if they rip that away at the last, uh, at the last moment, that was just going to be an eruption of chaos. And of course, that would then play into this whole idea that we need to just take the U.S. apart completely, ask for the United Nations to come in and take over. So either way, we've got rough seas ahead. And while I understand and even to some extent am myself emotionally involved in this. I want the good guy to win clearly, but, uh, but I think we need to take a breath, take a step back and recognize that uh, we have some challenges ahead of us. No matter what happens here. Are you saying that Trump is the good guy? Well, I think, Yes, I think in, yeah. in most people that investigate what's going on here, it's clear that we have a criminal syndicate that's trying to take apart the, the government. Even the way he campaigned, he came out and hit the hot words, right? It was like he, he came out one day and talked about vaccines, and he came out the next day and talked about international trade agreements. So he, he almost made this list of talking points of truther things, various things that had woken people up. So he, he yeah. really tried to go out there and cast a net and just bring back all of the conspiracy-believing people, yeah. I'm so glad you're saying that in that way, because I really don't know how to articulate that. I do not think Trump, the man is the movement has anything to do with it. But, and I always say this, like, I love, I, I love why people love him, except for people who just love him because he makes fun of Maxine Waters. Like that's, that's not enough for me. Like he makes Democrats cry. Like that's not enough for me. But the fact that he's gotten people that what the, 
what the the movement is manifesting and understanding that the show is a big lie and also i do believe that he actually won so if you want to say the good guy wins i would just say that the winner wins but i'm not sure there's a mechanism for that at this point to bear fruit although we continue to hope mm-hmm. <laughs> as you say that is very clever yeah, and I'm mean, just hoping that the Constitution and, as again, the, the keywords he was throwing out today, these little nuggets, uh, rule of law, if you, if you respect the rule of law and hope that we can return ever somehow to a constitutional republic, then clearly he would be the one that we would be supporting. Are you referring to his speech this morning or when he spoke at the Alamo? From, from the border wall today, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So that was at the Alamo. So he already gave that speech, and I thought that that was later tonight. Did he say anything about getting banned from Twitter? Did he talk about that at all? He was very strategic. Again, it was almost the most carefully concocted script we've ever seen. He started talking about the wall and it was like boring. He's like, look at how it's concrete. We enforce the seal up top. And then he sort of slipped into, and these, yeah, these big tech companies and their censorship, but the wall, it has also steel reinforcement. <laughs> so he's just, he's like dribbling out little things. And then again, but when the Biden administration takes over, let's hope they don't take the wall apart. And it, you know, the, the, the one that was most poignant that, that really gave, I think, insight into the way things may go is he said, there is no risk whatsoever to me that the 25th Amendment can be invoked, but I think Biden should be worried that this will come back to haunt him. You should be careful what you, what you wish for. Hmm. Which, is, which, of course, the 25th Amendment applies only to the, to the sanity yes. of the president. So that implies that Biden yeah. will be sitting on that chair, which is, again, it's a scary thought. Oh, it implies that Kamala will be sitting on Yes. That. Exactly, yeah. And... So and, there's, and- perhaps lead the charge against him with her legions. That's, I think, what you were saying all along, Binkley. Well, that he's going to, they might try and prosecute that, him, actually prosecute him if they were no, going to clamp down on free speech? No, that Kamala could tap into the whole, um, you know, Biden's the, the old white guy. Yeah. And the, what put him in power wasn't a yearning for old white guys. <laughs> no. and, and that the people who took to the streets during 2020 may support Kamala and, and hope for a, a change of power within the party. And the 25th Amendment could come in handy so that you would have a schism in the party, which every they seem to love the schism in the party these yeah. days. They love an illegitimate president. All that stuff really helps to undermine anybody's ability to just simply accept because we would accept democracy. We would accept the democratic out- outcome. People who are free yeah. marketers accept the socialism that we have as long as they think that everybody kind of wants it, whatever, and now they've made that impossible and, and they do it within the parties as well. Yeah, and they've teased 18 different ways. Like it's talking about this being a story. It's the best, te- it's the best drama on television right now. They have to be the best drama on television because everybody's at home watching nothing but Netflix all the time. So they have to make sure people are watching that. And they've been teasing out different ways Biden could get removed. Maybe he gets COVID. Maybe they actually bring up the Hunter Biden stuff after he gets in office. Maybe it's the 25th Amendment. There's a variety of ways they've been teasing. Are you enjoying this special episode of the Propaganda Report? If you are, you might enjoy our weekday show, The Drive Time News Blast. 
30 minutes of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. We listen to the news and peel away the propaganda so you don't have to. It's free in the Propaganda Report feed on your favorite podcasting platform. And if that's not enough for you, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash propaganda report. There you can get a full 45 minutes of daily news from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice, Or choose higher tiers that give you all of that, plus access to our very special disappearing patron parties, live streamed cocktail parties with us and like minded patrons two Fridays every month that are always a blast. Hope you are enjoying this special episode of the Propaganda Report and hope to catch you at a patron party soon. And that was the number one reason I thought Trump would win is that nobody else could captivate everybody's attention 24 seven for four years straight. I mean, this guy is, is like his own, um, you know, Truman show. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say, I know we're limited on time. So I just want to make sure we take yet another step back and sort of ask, okay, because it is very compelling, right? We're talking about it. It's, it's fascinating, but we want to step back from this very compelling show and ask, what are we, what, what are we not having our eye on right now? What are we missing? And I think that's where I want to go back to the food situation because when we, if you talk about the sun, I know this seems like a jump, but when you look at the sun, the sun goes through these cycles of, um, of activity. And there's an 11 year, it's called the Schwab cycle, a normal 11 year maximum and minimum cycle. And that's sort of just the normal heartbeat of the sun. But there are as well, these more protracted cycles where the sun will go into a longer, uh, it's called a grand maximum, where the peaks of those 11 year maximums are amplified. And we've been enjoying one of those grand maximums for the last 80 so years or now, uh, 80 or so years now that uh, it affords us more stable growing seasons and just a nice stable jet stream and stable climate. Um, And then as well, there are grand solar minima where the sun just goes pretty quiet for a while. And that makes that, that poses real problems for agriculture. If you look back in history, we can say this with certainty because when we look back in history, there have been periods where the sunspots drop off for a time and then there are immense crop failures and ridiculous weather anomalies around the world and generally people starve as a result. In fact, if you look at the uh, correlations between when there are grand solar minima and the Chinese dynasties, time and time again, the leadership fails because the crops fail and then people get upset. There's unrest. The, the, the king loses his divine right to rule, right? And he's deposed. And then uh, as things settle down, the seasons, the, the food starts to grow again and the new king sort of uh, becomes emperor and things, you know, the cycle repeats. We're entering now into, even by NASA and NOAA and all, all reputable or, or depending on how you see things, uh, official sources, uh, we're entering now into another grand solar minimum. And that means that there is a very real timeline that is dictating the show we're witnessing right now. What they're doing is front running these crops because things could not have continued as they were. Um, and so they're trying now to take total control over the food supply in advance of that. Make well, sure I didn't so it. Yeah. Sorry, I muted. So I didn't have to, um, didn't want to interrupt you. So with this uh, grand solar minimum, so this is something that, people know about. So that makes me want to ask, I see the chemtrails. It took me years to just realize, to look at the pattern and realize it didn't match the story that it's not to mention there's you know, more stuff comes out of the back of the engines now that they have no pollution at all than when I was growing up. It just doesn't really make sense. But also that the patterns like, oh, sometimes they appear, sometimes they don't appear. It depends on their altitude and the weather conditions. You can, uh, if you really watch them, you can see that the patterns 
are, are highly intelligent. They're definitely not like organic, natural uh, patterns. So uh, do you agree that the chemtrails are stuff they are putting in the atmosphere? Uh, I would say so. And, you know, I'm not an expert on this by any right, stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So I can only really speculate as to the purposes. I would actually guess that there are more than one reason they're throwing that stuff up there. But we've yeah. seen, you know, aluminum, barium, strontium levels rising in soil samples from various locations. We know Monsanto's patenting seeds that are resistant to these things. So absolutely, it seems like this ties into the uh, trying to keep people from being able to produce their own food. But yeah, that, um, that's what I was that is what I was I've been worried about is because when I saw the whole Trump thing come together or as I'm seeing it now and uh, because a lot of people communicate with us in our, because we talk to them, they talk to us. There's so many roots with which we can be informed by the listeners, which is very helpful. And I was amazed to find how many people do grow their own food, how many, how easy, you know, not easy because I can't do it. I'm from Brooklyn, but there's how, how easy it kind of is to just make that. I know so many people who have chickens and are growing, stuff and had grown abundance of stuff. And I realized like that is kind of where I need to migrate over time if I have the time. But the, but then when I saw who was kind of, you know, what the vibe, the Trump thing was generating, it was generating that like self-defense and being able to take care of your own necessities. And, and that's when I thought, this is why, because I consider what's happening now kind of like the Hungarian revolution where Pinkley always says the hundred or is it a thousand flowers, Pinkley, of the Mao, the Maoist, where they bring, they draw everybody forward and they eliminate the people who have identified themselves as a threat. And I feel like they're drawing out all of these people now in order to make sure that they are, are labeled or marked or to justify the kind of laws that you're talking about. I mean, the fact that you got taken down from Twitter is extremely significant to me because it totally validates that that is going to be among the things that they use this quote uprising to justify this trying to keep us from growing crops. So how do you get your mind around that? Like, what do you think the best defense is against this? If the door is closing on that? Well, growing your own food is the, is the only rational but, response yeah, to, to, uh, to, you know, when you look at the big tech companies clamping down right now on our ability to speak, that's exactly what we should expect from the big food companies that are owned by the same billionaires, right? It's the same multinational conglomerates. They're following the same script from the same, uh, same United Nations and Agenda 2030. So yeah, this is part of it. And that's why they've been consolidating seed companies and taking control over the genetics over the past decades is to take total control of food. And we've heard from Henry Kissinger, if you control food, you control people. Yes. We've heard from Bertrand Russell that it will be a combination of diet injections and injunctions. And like I said, it's go time. All three of those things are being used right now to take control over people. So they want control over the food supply. The UN has already broadcast that that food supply will be turned into insect-based proteins and synthetic lab meat. In fact, 100 years ago, there was a guy named Lord Birkenhead who wrote in an editorial in Cosmo magazine, believe it or not, <laughs> that, in, that by 2020, agriculture, if not abolished, would be in decay. And, uh, and, and he was, you know, this is a UK statement. Uh, statesman who knew exactly what was going on, right? He had insight into the way that these uh, elites were taking us forward. So now we have, yeah, we have in the last year, um, 
2020 has really been the year of revelation where they started the whole process. They kicked it off with the pandemic, but they also started pumping out these agendas. And we saw the Eat Lancet release their diet about how we're going to get rid of meat. And, you know, we've heard from the Impossible Foods CEO, which is funded by Bill Gates, that we're going to end animal agriculture. It's already game over and they don't even know it yet. He just said a few weeks ago, uh, Bill Gates actually also tipped his hat and said, I'm not worried about my investments into these unprofitable ventures because I want to make money hand over fist with my (laughs) fake meat companies, right? So it's clear what they're doing there. And uh, the Rockefeller Foundation released their Reset the Table, which is sort of a nod to the the great reset this is the food part of the <laughs> great so reset obnoxious. agenda yeah it's, it's it's when you read when you know how to read the words of the yeah. technocrats they're actually quite obvious about their intentions here because they have to communicate with each other yeah 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 and so and it's all about you know it's not some secret back channel communications or dark smoky rooms where they, they just do it out in the open and, and they assume we're all too dumb to figure it out which um, may be true well no i, I is that they doing the same thing with water, trying to take control of the water supply? Without a doubt. Yeah, we just saw that listed as a, now you can buy futures, right? On the, it's on the exchange now. You can buy commodity uh, shares in water. It's just, it's crazy to, to financialization of water. Um, yeah, and so the Eat Lancet Commission actually said in one of their reports that, uh, that food is the single biggest lever that we can use to mitigate these existential problems. And they're referring to the climate crisis, right, global warming, and to uh, the pandemic, to human health. So we have to change. These are the problems that, that mean we have to change what you eat and we have to take control over food. And they're doing it, man. They're doing it hand over fist right now. Yeah. See, this is what I wanted to get into is, first of all, I I wanted to ask you if you ever read UN's Habitat One, where they say there should be no private land ownership. That was at the beginning of the UN path. I also want to call your attention to the fact that Patrick Henry, my favorite founder, was totally committed to the guess you know that the agricultural that you we could not have this country if you didn't if the people didn't know how to grow their own food that there was agriculture was the backbone of it and it wasn't going to work without it and he was also opposed to convert to transitioning from the articles of confederation to the constitution so he might be your guy and uh but yeah also the chemtrails the, re- the reason I brought up the chemtrail thing is that they say it's because of climate change because they need to, because of global warming. But, it, but when you say is talk about a solar minimum not being some crazy conspiracy theory, but something that they all acknowledge in their data tables, I, that's why I wonder, you know, what could, it, it, you can't even act like, and, and there was one other thing that I found, can't even act like that's really what it's there for. But I found in a book called the, this, the, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, it was like the second book Klaus Schwab put out about that. Mm-hmm. And it said in it, the problem with putting solar radiation management up is if you withdraw it, there's going to be massive spikes in temperature. And out here in LA, they withdrew it and they had like the summer was an oven. And then that only fostered the narrative that we had this horrible global warming. And I was trying to tell people like ever since I moved out here, the sky has just been crisscross night and day until COVID and it disappeared and I was so happy. And then it, you know, it just all of a sudden became an oven. So, uh, so I don't think their story about chemtrails make any sense, but that, that, uh, led me to think, you know, could be part of this idea of them trying to stop us from growing our own food. And what really alarmed me was your um, maybe second to last video about the chickens in the UK and see, that's why, you know, I know the answer is grow your own food, but I'm starting to panic that they, that they will be able to take that away from us. 
Yeah. And that's, that's why we can't just retreat to the forest and start growing our own food. That's why we actually have to indulge in learning all of this, reading the technocrats language, like we just said, to understand that, uh, that, yeah, that they're making the case that farming and ranching or homesteading, even on a small scale is, bad, is somehow unhealthy or bad for the environment. It's dirty. Keeping animals is antiquated and it leads to pandemics. It causes global warmings because of cowboys. Oh. Yes, the bird flu thing. I never really understand. So that demonizes chickens. And is that why they went through in the UK? Can you just mention what happened in the UK about the Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just to be really clear here, it's not just the UK. This is happening in India right now where it is decimating the poultry industry. Oh my God, sales of poultry have there. fallen. Yeah, yeah. Sales of poultry have fallen 70 to 80% since the beginning of this year already um, in the name of the bird flu outbreaks. I just saw that it was happening in Lithuania. Of course, it's been in China. There's been a number of instances of this. And in Japan, they were calling hundreds of thousands of birds. So what they do is they say, oh, we've got a bird flu outbreak and then we have to kill. We have to start killing all of your chickens now. And that means literally millions of birds have been culled in the last year alone um, under the guise of protecting them, protecting them from bird flu and keeping this from, from getting out of, out of control. Um, there's also been hundreds of thousands of chickens killed in the last year alone due to massive fires at barns. And uh, so it seems like, I mean, there is absolutely a controlled demolition of our food supply happening right now in order to set the stage, well, first for, for food shortages, so people uh, freak out and are aware that there's a problem. This is the first part of the problem reaction solution script with which we're all familiar by now. Um, and so they will cause this problem and they'll say, this is why we have to start eating crickets because people aren't buying. It's either not important enough to them or it's not a significant motivation. If they just say uh, global warming and human health. And so now you have to eat bugs. People are still like, I don't, I don't think so, man. That's, that's gross. So we really have to cause a significant interruption into the food supply, which is what we're witnessing now, this engineered food shortages to make the case that this is why what we've been doing to date can no longer be done. We have to implement this insect-based protein. We have to go to lab-grown meat. We have to get rid of animal agriculture. And the other thing, the other thing that ties the whole thing together is um, one of the most important links in the chain of running a, a, you know, a regenerative, self-sufficient homestead is the fact that you take the outputs from your animals, the manure, and feed it back into the plants. And so when they say that this is the end of animal agriculture, they are stripping from us that most important link. So we can't now feed our plants. We have to go get fertilizers from the store if we're even going to be able to, to grow our own food. We'll still be you know, we'll still be doing it within their framework. And so it, it removes from us the ability to be self-sufficient. Do you think that part of this uh, whole bigger picture, when I look at food recommendations and I look at healthcare recommendations, the more educated I become personally, the more it seems to me that government or big corporation recommendations on the food pyramid and, you know, how to take care of your health are literally upside down. Like it's, that is the food pyramid is upside down. And is, it, it feels to me as I see the whole um, COVID thing, even if what they told us about the novel coronavirus, which they somehow completely described in advance in event 201, but even if what they told us about it is true, the policies themselves not only obviously don't work, um, just instinctively are counterintuitive and they never provide kind of um, the cost benefit analysis of the policy or the science behind the policy. And I'm becoming, I, I mean, it's just, I, I was already in the rabbit hole. Now I'm seeing it as a, as they're doing it in order 
I mean, just like it's pathological that they're doing it. It's sinister that they that they have a bigger plan and that when they talk about being good to helping poor people, about poverty, about education, about lifting people up, about equality and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that has abs. There's no good motivation whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, I, I feel like they're just lying on purpose to to get their evil plans out. And I mean, is that you're so educated in it? What's your gut? Without a doubt. And I would actually defer to, to the real expert. There's a biomolecular engineer who specializes in nutrition and, uh, and food studies named Dr. Frederic Leroy, who is really, from my perspective, blowing the whistle on the fact that this whole anti-meat agenda is really, really misguided. Uh, throughout history, we have evolved with meat. There's a number of papers that he cites that say, you know, for millions of years, we've been evolving in this way. And in fact, the human body needs meat to survive at this point. So, yes. uh, you know, this is, as you, I think, rightly called it, the inversion of the food pyramid goes hand in hand with this uh, trend, this Luciferian inversion of everything, just like the uh, advice that you need to go inside and stay out of the sunshine and wear a mask over your face, even indoor. I mean, all of their advice is terrible. And it is, it is uh, again, stripping from people. In this case, it's stripping from us, our immune system and our ability to, to be healthy at all without their weird drugs and whatever else they're going to do to us. So, so exactly. Yeah. We got uh, rabbits, little bunny rabbits for, I call them the COVID therapy bunnies, like just to have some, you know, love and warmth and stuff. And my son said, oh, you can tell their prey because they have eyes on the sides of their heads. They're always watching stuff, but you can tell we're predators because we are looking for us. Like, are you telling me that you just looked at my face and you knew that I was a meat eater? He's like, yeah, I learned it in science. I'm like, wow. (laughs) I guess they didn't mean for that to sink in, (laughs) but you know, it's true. And yeah, I just, I feel like, that's where that's when I think you can start pulling back the curtain and seeing the the psyops for what they are. And you simply cannot trust anything that the mainstream media reports because they report that stuff and they 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 must consciously suppress the truth or they just, you know, the people at the very top and then the folks who are delivering it are probably just trained to never think very deeply. Well, they're teaching journalist students now to be advocates. They're, they're not even teaching real journalism in schools anymore. They're being taught that it's a good idea to advocate your position and your opinion and to tell one side of the story. That's what I learned in law school too, is that they judges were promoting policy. Hmm. Well, so, there, is, there is certainly yeah. no widespread evidence of good journalism at this point. Definitely not <laughs> no well put. Well, but so, but before like the, this week, this month of the crisis, you were way, way ahead of it. Would you, could you give us a little bit of like kind of what you got into, what got you into this and how you saw it coming and kind of your big picture and, and, and down to the little picture of what you kind of do every day? I mean, the, the big picture was certainly looking at um, the cycles of the sun and realizing that that was what dictates, you know, there is so much going on and a lot of it just doesn't make sense. It seems sometimes like the technocrats have been moving their agenda forward at a rate that actually works against them. Like it would be better in their interest if they sort of slow down and just let people acclimate to some of the terrible things they're doing before they move on to the next thing. But there's been a decidedly really ambitious and uh, like I said, too fast. They've been going too fast on these things. And it wasn't until I put all of these things in the context, and that's why I set it up front, um, of, of the grand solar minimum and the fact that it really hits home in 2030, which of course jackknives exactly with the agenda 2030, the fact that 
you know, I, I make a point of going to all of their conferences on food right now to listen to the language and see where things are going. And they're all very clear that this next decade is the decade of transition of, of the radical transformation of our food supply and of society as a whole. The World Economic Forum is saying the same sorts of things. We need to be um, bracing for vertigo as we go through this next decade of change is literally the words. So they're wow. telling you everything is going to change over this next decade. We're seizing the opportunity now and it's got to, they know it's got to because um, th- we just won't be able to grow food the way we have been in the huge really? at scale monocultures. Yeah. Okay. I have to understand this a little bit better if you don't mind. Uh-huh. So are you, first of all, are you saying the 2030 is the grand solar minimum? No, it's, it's more of a gradual thing. Um, it's just that if you look at the way that the cycles are working out, 2030 is where we really start to bottom out. So right now okay. we're in between, we're just on the cusp of the beginning of solar cycle 25. So it's just starting finally. And how, how long is a cycle? It's 11 years usually, give or but take But I mean some. the bigger cycle. Uh, they can go, those are variable. And so you can look back and see them every 200 years, every 400 okay. years. There's different harmonics in the magnetic fields of the sun. And it's a fascinating, like, I talk all about all day about that. I, I know that's your fascinating. thing. Um, but my audience probably doesn't know it and I'm totally new to it. So I, I really appreciate your indulging, but if so, so if you were to predict, say this last one, it would be 200 years of the grand one or 100 years of the grand one. And you're saying we're close to or just beginning to hit that kind of the bowl, the bottom. Yeah. So, so it's like, well, first of all, let me just throw this out there because we could talk about it all day. And I just want people to know that there is a tremendous amount of literature, both scientific and then history. I've got a, a page up at wiki.iceagefarmer.com slash history, where you can read about 200 years ago, we had the Dalton minimum where it was um, one of the cycles became muted. And that's sort of what we've been in lately. Solar cycle 24 out of which we just came was much smaller than certainly than the ones over the last 80 years, but even uh, uh, smaller than most of the 11 year Schwab cycles. And then 400 years ago, we were in the Maunder minimum where it just bottomed out. There were no uh, sunspots for a long period there. And that's when there were definitely, you know, severe increases in volcanic eruptions, uh, seismic activity. The jet stream was all over the place. It goes into this meridional pattern. And so you get the cold pockets of Arctic air coming down, which the media now calls a polar vortex. And then uh, on the other hand, you, you see uh, equatorial streams sneaking up. So warm pockets of air sneaking up to the Arctic. And that's when they point at that and say, ah, oh, it's global warming, right? And they play back into that narrative. Um, so we're, we're experiencing all of the telltale signs of, the, of this weakening in the solar uh, activity that's going on right now. Um, and then more specifically to your question, yeah, we just came out of solar cycle 24, which was smaller predictions for solar cycle 25, or that will also be smaller. And then after that actually is when by most models, and this is when it really, like I said, this is when it gets really hairy is when we actually drop off into a monitor like minimum, but you know, only God knows no one, no one really knows right. what the sun is going to do. So all we can really do is to is say that this is possible. And I'm sure that's what the powers that be are doing is saying, Oh crap. Usually when this happens, we lose power in the past. And so we need to front run this. Now we need to bring down our technocratic agenda now and get these people locked in their homes and off of real food and onto cockroach milk so that we can, yeah, keep them under our control. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is it your opinion? And it sounds like it is that some, uh, that uh, many of the dramatic events of uh, in our history you know, just say Western history that is absolutely fitted up with narratives that we find in our textbooks have are profoundly impacted by these patterns and they get not a single word in those textbooks. And that maybe that's true, right? 
There's no doubt. Yeah. When you, right. there are mass migrations of people that can only be driven by, you know, uh, the lack of food. That's when people say, well, crap, I, I, I was, my parents grew food here, but it's not working for me. I'm going to go over to the new world. I'm going to take a chance and hop on a boat that might go off the edge of the earth. Who knows, but, <laughs> right. but it's not working for me here. And so something's got to change. And so, yeah, you, you see that um, these mass migrations of, of people correspond with these uh, drastic changes in solar activity. And it's fascinating. Again, that history page, you can see Thomas Jefferson writing about um, really bad corn yields during the Maunder minimum. It's uh, the Dalton minimum rather. So it's, I, I just, again, I find this stuff fascinating. Um, but now there's an immediacy to, and a relevancy to all of our lives in terms of what, uh, how this is playing out here. And that should classify as, <laughs> to borrow a phrase, a forbidden knowledge, because what power those who might keep that from us would have if they have it and we don't. And that's what we're seeing, you think. Absolutely, Monica, you're dead on. And that's why, you know, there was a big hubbub in the 70s, you might remember about, oh, it looks like we might be entering a new ice age. Yes. Here. And that got shut down. And that was right about the, the time of, of the uh, global warming narrative being born. And so I think that's exactly what we saw there was um, people were, were starting to look at, at, at uh, the cycles and at the models of where we were now and saying, hmm, it kind of looks like, uh, and they said, okay, no, let's, let's put that under wraps. And, uh, and it's people, getting hotter, by the way. People laugh mm -hmm. at that. And, mm -hmm. and I wanted to ask you this. In the 60s, I believe he, I forget his name. I really should never forget his name. But he, I, I believe he won a Nobel Prize for um, increasing crop yields by four times. It was called the Green Revolution at the time. And he came under fire because it involved a lot of kind of artificial methods of growing crops. And he defended himself, and I always supported him in this, by saying, you don't understand what starvation and poverty really are. Like, you've got to not put, get on your high horse of, like, you know, hippie, <laughs> groovy crap. We're saving India's starving poor. And I always wondered if, if he was uh, what you see is what you get, or if there was something nefarious behind that green revolution, or if it really wasn't even as much his or the modern chemical technologies as the fact that you were saying there was it was warm in the 60s, right? Like that was a, wasn't that like an unusual warm period you were saying earlier? Well, if you're talking about the Rockefeller Foundation's Green Revolution, then I think that oh, was yeah, it? this is absolutely a part of the, uh, of Never the mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is absolutely a part of, yeah. And, and now, of course, Bill Gates and the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are working hand in hand with the Rockefeller Foundation to the Green Revolution Part 2, making sure that we can help these, the, the, you know, these, these indigenous people come up to speed with the technology of modern times because <laughs> bless their hearts, they just can't figure it out. It's terrible what they're doing in there going in there and taking away these amazing, uh, robust heirloom genetics that have been handed down season after season and are just really amazing in how well they grow there. And they're replacing them with, of course, like Terminator seeds. And this is what's driven the suicide, the farmer suicides in India. So yeah, it's a, it's a terrible travesty what's happened with the Rockefeller, the, the Green Revolution, and now this... Uh, so that massive increase in crop yields, if, and, and actually the more I do research this permaculture, and I read a great book against the grain about kind of the origin 10,000 years ago about the origin of agriculture, that the, we were fully capable of domesticating seeds and using that knowledge for thousands of years before the agricultural revolution. And the only fault I had with the book really was as he talks about, uh, he, he identifies the slavery aspects of the agriculture 
agricultural revolution, the taxable nature of just growing grains. And you pointed that out. I was listening to your higher side chat. You said tubers are great because you can leave them in the ground. And he was saying that author James Scott was saying that it's hard for the tax man or the marauder to steal all your food if they have to wait for you to dig it up and find it and they don't even know it's there. So the whole grain thing was kind of a, uh, a mistake. But as you go back and look before that, it was a combination of a lot of things, including permaculture and allowing nature to kind of raise your animals, raise your food. And that unlike what we are really taught, the agricultural revolution, I always likened it to, or said it actually coincides in a young earth Christian kind of thing with the, with the garden of Eden, where he says, you're going to have to now work from the sweat of your brow or something like that. And I always thought the agricultural revolution, was the tree of knowledge. Like, how can that be bad? It's like, I, I, you know, I, I, I try to put those things together, but prior to that, so and I'm just trying to say, like, in India, yes, they had starvation and all that kind of stuff. But the problem, then you really get kind of out there, is, is that they're kind of too, their industrialization was inorganic. Then you really start sounding like a communist. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, they were starving. And maybe you need industrialization or industrial food to support city populations that that were like in that against the green book, it says the cities have to absorb the populations from outside because they literally just wear people out. They like kill them. Mm-hmm. You don't, you can't have a sustainable population inside an industrial complex. You have to like have outside people pu- pulling in so that maybe there, there really is no answer to how do you feed billions of people living in cities because that isn't a sustainable model. I don't know. I haven't fully thought through my theory on that, but I do think that the more natural ways of growing things aren't bad for the environment and aren't bad for people. They don't make people starve. Oh, and the fault I was going to say the guy had with the book was every time he described a pandemic, he would say, oh, some foreign disease came and wiped everybody out. And it always happened to be like in the same paragraph that he said, oh, monoculture led to massive malnutrition and crop failures and soil reduction and all that. And, you know, makes you wonder if that, that really is the key to health, just massive amounts of plastic food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to throw, actually, going back to Lord Birkenhead, one of the things he was really, in Cosmo in 1920, one of the things he was looking forward to is finally it will be that the cities are the ones that are producing the food so that it'll be the cities that are feeding the countryside and vice, instead of vice versa. And we can get rid of these terrible people that live off the land. But, uh, but no, it's interesting. The Rockefeller Foundation in their Reset the Table agenda document um, sort of did an, an about face. They said a little bit of a mea culpa, like, oh, sorry. It turns out that while the Green Revolution was helpful, it, it was helpful in feeding people, it was too calorie focused and we accidentally didn't focus on, on nutrition. And although <laughs> Rockefeller medicine has not acknowledged the role of nutrition in human health at all for the past 80 years, it turns out there's kind of a link there and it doesn't matter what you eat. And so now we are going to establish that nutrition and food does have something to do with human health. And that is why they're saying now that they're linked, this medical martial law, this, this uh, pandemic and everything that we're imposing here actually flows right into our need to control your food supply as well. So this is, this is the oh. way that they're 
weaving over into that. Go ahead. Yes, I must ask you about this. Mm-hmm. I heard you say, and uh, do you know who Allison McDowell is? She has this website. It's called Wrench in the Gear. And this was just so weirdly coincidental that you said the same thing that she said, and it was also on a higher side chat, but she was talking about education. Um, she wasn't really getting so welfare, social services mainly. She was talking about how all like kind of welfare and people in need would be their, all their information down to their every move, like their behavior, they would register and stuff. And, and I actually have a special needs son who, the, in order for the government to, I don't use the government reimbursal, but in order for him, them to reimburse some of these programs, he has to fill out, we're supposed to fill out just pages and pages and pages of what he's doing every day, blah, blah, mm. blah. And she said it would be, they would commodify, uh, commoditize the information through blockchain and then go ahead and make like bonds that would get, would privatize the whole program. And, and then they would say, well, the outcomes are better because this person would have been a junkie. So that's why we get to keep the money. But it reminded me of you saying that like tomatoes would have their own, like an individual tomato could be uh, monitored or surveilled through blockchain. What, it seems like it's all coming together. Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, this is why they have to get rid of people's chickens in their backyard. And so in the name of bird flu, I might've not finished the end of that story in the name of stopping bird flu, the UK's health agency or farm agency named DEFRA is actually going door to door gassing people's chickens right now saying you're, you're too close. We've drawn a bubble on a map around the place over there that we claim that there was a case of bird flu. And so we're here to kill your chickens now. And, uh, and it's just, a, I can barely even say that it's just appalling to me. But if you understand that, as you just said, their goal, their stated goal is to have an AI plus blockchain supply chain that tracks, in their own words, every last coffee bean and every cut, every piece of a fish and its location throughout the world and who's getting it and how they paid for it, then, uh, then of course it makes sense. Then you can't have people growing food and saving seeds. You don't know how many seeds they got. You can't have people with hens in their backyard because they might hatch more chickens and we can't tax that. So this is, yeah, when you take Agenda 2030 to its natural conclusion, which is total awareness and control over every resource on the planet, then that's where, <laughs> this is where it goes is you kill people's chickens. Aren't and it's, it's just appalling. also? So yes, you're absolutely right, Brad. Thanks for mentioning that. There was a story about the mink that really laid the foundation for how this whole zoonotic threat and pandemic thing is being played out. And they started with the minks and many people saw that Denmark killed 17 million mink in the name of this new COVID mutation. And I covered this both because it was ridiculous. And when they took the mink away from the, you know, the highly uh, infected, really dangerous new, you know, the entire world is shut down for coronavirus right now. But as they took this new mutation of it that they found in mink, they just let the minks fall off their trucks. There was blood strewn throughout the streets. It was the most ludicrous sight you've ever seen. It was not, obviously it was not safely contained at all. So it was A, it was clearly just a a cover story for something. Uh, And then B, it was absolutely establishing the precedent that when they point at some animal and say, oh, there's a, there's a COVID or there's a bird flu or whatever, then we just have to kill them all, have to kill them all. And so just a few weeks ago, actually, there was a, a, a new study that found that coronavirus could live in pigs. And so I would say it's just a matter of time now before we start seeing, oh, there's a pig in Tennessee that has, you know, coronavirus has been detected on it. 
and we have to kill every pig within a X mile radius of this. So there, there are a number of, of attacks that are going on at the same time right now for our food supply. Yeah. I wonder about dogs. This is outside the food supply, but I wonder if they were going to uh, try to apply that to dogs anyway. They'll really have a fight on their hands. Denmark even went so far as to say that, that uh, one of their ministers came out and said, yeah, it may be that dogs and cats, we have to take this approach there too. And of course, they haven't tried that yet, but uh, it's, it's appalling that they would even mention that. Yeah, yeah it's like terrorism. They're, they're terrorizing people. But if the food supply is shrinking, then, you know, we can't afford to feed all those dogs and cats at this point. It's, right. Plus, it yeah. keeps you healthy, right? If you're, if you're happy, you've got your pet. That's Exactly. Gotta, I was, yeah. I've been waiting. Um, I've been in California since this thing started, and we've been in lockdown since, <laughs> since St. Patrick's Day. And they, so my kids haven't gone to school. My husband hasn't gone to work. And that's why we got the therapy bunnies. And people thought I was getting them for food. They're, they're Netherland dwarf bunnies. It would be like eating a quail. Like I, just, I would need way more. They, although I already have more, they immediately bred. I kind of made a mistake. If you would have sent me a lucky rabbit's foot for Christmas, <laughs> I would have been very, very I know. concerned. No wonder homesteaders like rabbits. Yeah, if I had sent everybody I knew a, a, a rabbit's foot. But I was wondering when they would start interfering with family life because it's actually been good for my family. We've enjoyed it. And I, got, I, I started a fish tank did I lose a lot of fish? But anyway, they're good now. And, uh, but they give me a lot of peace and joy. And, uh, I, and so some of that has, I've been, I've been surprised that they've even allowed it to continue because it's so healthy. And I wouldn't be surprised if they took the pets away. I agree though. It's like sports, although they let them take the sports away. People are very committed to that, but they let them take it away. All they have to do is first of all, take away any sense of a greater purpose in life or any sense of spirituality. And then tell you that the only thing you've got going for you is 80 years in that body. And then tell you that that body is at risk. And then people will literally apparently do anything. Yeah, it's, it's pretty appalling. And, um, you know, I wonder if we should start to talk about solutions, how people move forward. So and and next question. Yes. Yeah, how, do, how do we respond to this threat of, of them trying to take total control, centralize it, and uh, remove from people their ability? We kind of hinted at it already when we said it's not just, it certainly is, but it's not just growing your own food. It's got to be a multi-pronged defense. Um, I think that if you're a lawyer, if you, like you said, if you're in Brooklyn and don't have any experience growing food, we still need you. We need lawyers who can start pushing off the regulations to try and clear the way for more local food production. There's a great example in Wyoming, uh, HB 155 said that actually the USDA regulations only apply or they don't apply rather to farmers and ranchers that are killing off their own animals. So they carved out, they sort of widened that exception a little bit and said, well, we can define animal shares and you can, you know, I was actually in a goat share. So every week we paid some amount of money up front and every week we got to pick up some milk. I didn't have to keep, take care of the goats or anything like that. They sort of used that definition to say, well, that, that means that you can have a share of a cow and at the end of the season, the, the rancher can do, can go ahead and harvest that animal without having to go through all the USDA's red tape. And we know, you know, you probably saw during the pandemic, a lot of those facilities were shut down and the whole pipeline got backed up and ranchers were just culling millions of their animals. It was a disaster. So uh, this is a good example of how lawyers, whether you're at the city council or at the county level, or in this case at the state level for HB 155, can help local food production move forward. And so we need to be using those kinds of laws to be getting, um, to be encouraging every kind of local counter-economic activity to bolster our local food production. 
There's another example in Florida. Unfortunately, this one didn't pass. That was appropriately named Bill 1776. And it just said, <laughs> you're not allowed to regulate my garden. If I want to grow stuff in my front yard to feed my family, you can't, uh, you can't tell me that I can't do that. And this was after you know, a lot of media coverage of one city that came along and took out somebody's garden. Some couple had a garden and they said, no, you're only supposed to have grass in your front lawn. You can't put food there. What do you Can thinking? you put a goat there to eat the grass and give you some milk or not even? <laughs> I'm not grass sure. But, um, but um, so, so there's just by way of example, there's a couple and I do have those up on a site called the victory seed dot org slash law because i think um those are great examples of how on a on a legal way we can get out there and pass either deregulate or take the onerous taxes off or um just again open up the 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 floor for us to to be growing our own food and sharing it with our communities Um, but that's one example of how even a lawyer can be helpful in local food if you're a webmaster there's plenty of farmers who are being cut off from restaurants that are closed or shutting down right now and they suddenly need the ability to sell their food directly to consumers. So there's a huge market for webmasters to come help stand up new websites for your local farms. Um, and that's not, yeah, like you said, there's not even going into the need for tons of farms and tons of animals being raised. So no matter how you look at it, there's a role for you, whatever your background is in, you can absolutely be a part of this uh, return to local regenerative food systems. And I just want to make sure that's very clear. Yeah. What, yeah, would, people, what would you say the yeah. first step would be for somebody right after they got done listening to this podcast? The first step, you've given us some great websites. Does it go to the website? Is it, where can they, what's the first thing they should do to kind of, to orient themselves? It's a great question. So I have, and I've tried to answer that a number of different ways on, on uh, my channel. The Ice Age Farmer channel has been, I've had conversations with uh, Marjorie Wildcraft, who has a great three-part system between your garden and then your rabbit's. Uh, and then, um, sorry. And then, uh, <laughs> and then chickens for eggs. And she breaks it down that way as at, by calories, you can grow half your food just in a very small space for your family. I've also talked to Gabe Brown, who's a regenerative rancher in North Dakota, and he uses some amazing practices to, um, he doesn't have any external fertilizers or any of these things. Everything is run in house again, by closing that loop, cycling from the manure, the nutrients into his farm. And, uh, by virtue of using those practices when North Dakota has been really, I mean, they're pretty far North and they've been having some early blizzards and a lot of the, you know, there's kind of like a canary in the coal mine for some of the things we can expect in the grand solar minimum, but his farm is doing great even as his neighbors around him are suffering. So again, by virtue of using these regenerative practices, you can make your own food production more resilient. Um, But I've also had conversations with indigenous you know, there's a Hopi dry farmer who shared a bit about how he was able to grow food for himself, even in Arizona with one sort of monsoon season a year and then making it through the rest of the year. Um, and I, I mentioned these just to really drive home the point that there is no one single way to answer that question, to do, to feed your family. It really depends on what you eat right now and what you have, where your context, where you are, what kind of growing season you have, and then how do you start uh, bringing these things together. How do you, yes, you're going to have to change what you eat a bit and you'll have to start growing food or raising animals, whatever, you know, I know uh, a couple in North Idaho that, uh, that all they, they just, they're, um, what's it called? Meatitarians. All they eat is, is meat. Uh, and that's fine for them. They don't have much of a growing season, but they have 
plenty of acres for their bison. And so they raise bison and that's, that's perfect for them. So again, all this to say that there needs to be no one way. You don't have to be scared that you don't know how to do X, Y, or Z, or maybe I can't do, you know, this here. It's more like, okay, what do you need? What does your family need? And uh, what can you do? And then how do you bring these things together to meet your needs with what you can do? If somebody could move, I mean, a lot of people are moving around right now or feel like they've gotten some ability to get out of the city. They can Zoom work or whatever. Is there a place, a climate, a region, a state, a legal environment, a county that you think, hey, man, if you really could start from scratch, I would move to, I mean, everybody's moving to Texas, so I'm assuming it's not Texas, but is there anything or you just feel like you should take, you should, we should kind of stay where we are and try to make, be, be our own seed? Yeah, I mean, I'm from Texas, and we have that expression, you should bloom where you're planted. But, oh, um, really? But, so but I think, so you're probably asking, like, with respect to food production, but I think, again, because it's such a huge question of where's your family, right? Where's your community? Uh, what's your tolerance for cold? Like, again, if you're the couple that only eats meat, it doesn't matter to you if you have a, a short growing season, if you're in North Idaho. So it really depends on this whole series of um, what you're – what your preferences are and then what your risk profile is. You know, if you are really afraid of earthquakes and you don't want to move to California, just really, you need to sort of make that huge list. What are the risks that are, that you can uh, tolerate? It's not a big deal to you. And then what are the things that are most important to you? And if you're, you know, you, you sort of go through that exercise and you come up with, Oh, it looks like Florida is going to stay warm. And I kind of like the freedom with the health issues I've been seeing down there, but you don't know anyone down there for me, at least, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big indicator. Like I want to be around people that, uh, that love me, right. right. And that I love. And so, because throughout history, that's really how humans get through it is when your crop fails, because that just happens sometimes. See, I always think that love is selfish. Love is selfish. They're like, you know, people are selfish. I'm like, yeah, that's why we love each other (laughs) because we need that kind of insurance. We need that community because that is what's good for us. So it works perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And social media has been a pretty good divide and conquer the people around. Most people don't even know the people around them or their neighbors anymore. And so I think that's a huge oh, that's part of returning to local food production and doing it in a resilient way is you got to go talk to your neighbors and figure out what they're doing. If they've got horses, you can use their manure. There's just, we got to, we got to rebuild our networks that have been stripped down by, uh, by this gradual, you know, it's not just the green revolution. It's all of these things that have been really uh, building in a convenience culture that has stripped from us our resilience. Well, it sounds to me like it's not too late. The chicken story scared me a little bit. COVID, I feel like it has the, the tentacles everywhere. This civil unrest in D.C. seems to, just like COVID, be preparing itself to give an excuse to these guys to do whatever they want. But on the other hand, there I have a lot of hope because so many people I wouldn't even have known have come out. Um, and just when we have a show like this, I'm bombarded with emails selling people shows. <laughs> sending me pictures of their chickens, which I love and stuff like that. So it's, there, it's a, many more people than you think are just, you know, I call it like a, you know, pickup farm. You just put it in your backyard, you grow some stuff, you get started that way. And it's not as hard as I think it is having n- never put my hands in the soil, but I think it's doable. And I actually loved what you said about, and I, I concluded this anyway, I thought if the, if the shit hits the fan, uh, you want a chicken 
and a cow because they can make animal protein without killing them and they can make it out of garbage that you can't eat. And you want potatoes because you don't need to mill them. They, they grow so easily. I accidentally grew a bunch of potatoes and like rolled out of the garbage and my dog was eating potatoes like every day. What happened over here? And I looked and there were just all these like totally plastic looking Yukon gold potatoes that I got out of that. I was like, they just grew themselves. Wow. So little things like that are a great way to get started. And I, and I feel like we, um, if everyone did just one little thing like that, then I feel like the empowerment, the sense of empowerment would be enough because as we started out this whole conversation by saying these are almost entirely virtual events, it's a psychological operation. And this has the ability to gird us psychologically against this feeling of helplessness and danger that is all they have against us. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of people don't have room for a cow, so I just want to. I just, I'm just as I'm listening to you, I'm just like yes. trying to imagine all the people who are hearing this, and a number of them probably thought, "Well, then I'm screwed." You know, I don't have. I don't sorry, sorry, so, sorry, sorry. So I wanted to, in response to those people, um, make it clear that you can really be, you can have great results at small scales. This is a really common question I get too. You know, I live in an apartment, or you know, what have you. Um, but you can do, <laughs> you can raise a lot of food in a very small space. Um, and so you, you do have to make some investment, right? As with any system or any uh, investment, you're going you're gonna to put some energy into it up front to build up the system. And then the idea of, of any regenerative system is that ultimately it's going to start paying off. And then in the long run, it's going to keep feeding you even once you've moved on to bigger and better things or, or other efforts. So um, you, don't, you don't need the 40 acres for the manure. You can have, you know, like I said, with Marjorie Wildcraft system, you can keep your rabbits in a very small amount of space. Hopefully they have a very happy life. But in a worst case scenario, which we may be looking at right now, those rabbits can be put into a small space and they breed quickly and they can produce perfectly healthy protein for your family. So that might be something that uh, is worth looking at. And then another thing that's worth looking at is take the time to look at the five principles of good soil husbandry because that really simplifies everything about growing food in the soil is um, just understanding that there's an incredibly rich bio uh, biome in your soil, an entire ecosystem of things that are working together that you need to feed and you need to keep the soil covered and keep a plant in the ground at all times. The plants are the things that are taking the energy from the sun and feeding it into this ecosystem through exits in, out of their roots into these things. Um, and there's a few other items on that list that I won't go into, but, oh, and integrating animals we should mention because that's one of the ones they want to take from us. Right. right. Um, and if you just follow these really basic aspects of keeping a really rich soil ecosystem down there, then that soil almost can't help but feed you. So those are good to, uh, to look at and sort of, it's very empowering to internalize those. And then the other thing is that seeds, seeds are just magic. They are amazing. And that's why the seed companies have done such a deliberate attack on eliminating the diversity, the, uh, the, the biodiversity on this planet. Seeds, once you, you know, you can get them from a seed company or wherever you need to get them. Ideally, you go find people near you and there are master gardeners and neighbors, wherever you can find these people that are already growing in your area. Not only are they well-equipped with seeds, but they have the stories, right? They know how the, where those seeds were grown, if they liked the shade or they didn't like the wind, whatever, they can really give you the context of these seeds. And those seeds are um, better able to grow in your neck of the woods because the magical, the most, to me, the most magical thing about seeds is that, and plants is that they actually learn. 
And so there are lots of stories about someone who gets a, a you know, um, a variety of corn or whatever from some part of the world and they try and grow it where they are and they maybe they just barely get one ear of corn out the first season. It just barely manages to produce, but they take that, those kernels in the second season, the, uh, the corn will come to fruition weeks earlier because they know they have less time to, to deal with. And so they'll get a, a really robust crop that second time. So seeds, it becomes, it's called land race. They actually adjust to the conditions of where you are and they learn and they get better and they grow even more food for you. So you need to learn how to save seeds and, and do it and trade seeds with your neighbors. I mean, it's awesome. It's, they also are so um, prolific, right? One little brassica, little broccoli plant will give you hundreds of seeds. And I just love it. My son always just lights up when he's like, Oh my gosh, you got all those seeds from one plant. I can't. And now they're all more plants from that. It just blows his mind. See, I actually, I actually think for people who still aren't uh, <clears throat> focused on the fact that this is imminent, or at least there's really no time to kind of put this on the back burner, that especially in these times when you have kids and this COVID lockdown stuff, it's not good for them at all. They're just on that tube. But this sense of um, connection with the earth, actual physical contact with the soil and the ground, as well as a sense of creativity and or creation and a, a kind of um, internalized understanding of how to how life works. All of the we are actually going to start gardening, and one hundred percent just for the the emotional element of it, the 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 kind of spiritual health of it, for all those reasons. So for people who spend a lot of time worrying about their kids being on the screens, whatever, and think of gardening as see, I was thinking of gardening as or growing things as something else to put on my list. But actually, what it would do is answer a big question mark that's already on my list, which is how do I help nurture my kids in this new environment that I really want wasn't set up for what's the best use of my energy time and focus and I concluded uh, that that was one of the on the the short list the a list of the things that we're going to do so your resources will I think will help us the because I really don't know how to start one of our sponsors on our daily show is neighbors feed and seed and the guy sends me the stuff and he's like an idiot even a Brooklynite can grow this and <laughs> it's like I am I supposed to bury it in the ground or put it on the windowsill <laughs> he's just like okay we're gonna have to facetime <laughs> but <laughs> that's, that's the good, kind of thing you know it's a good point monica you know um yeah gardening can absolutely be part of self-care part of it's a very it can be a very meditative thing and of course there's even studies that show when you get your hands dirty mm -hmm. that there are again that incredibly rich biome that's in the soil actually somehow gets into your fingers and gets in your body and has um, statistically significant things like it's actually more helpful to mental health than serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Well, right? that's so, why people yeah. need these things. Yes, yeah. Because they're disconnected from, from how we were supposed to live. So we could, we have certainly taken enough of your time, but is there anything that you feel, I think we got to that, the must knows, you were very <laughs> scrupulous about that, which I appreciate. Is there anything we left out? Um, no, you're right though. It's not just the, you know, the chemical thing about getting your hands dirty and it affects your brain. It's also that connection to earth. And there's a spirit, you know, there's a reason that when you talk to the, I talked to the Hopi dry farmer and it was impossible for him to talk about cultivation, which I think is innate to being a human. It's just part of what we are. 
um, is growing food and, and being stewards of the earth. But for him, it was even, it was just impossible for him to talk about growing food without also getting into spirituality and their, their relationship with the earth. And so I think as you get back into your garden, you, you rekindle that relationship, you find that connection again, and you definitely get the sense when you, you know, find seeds growing where you didn't plant them. And you're like, Hey, I don't remember (laughs) planting that volunteer plant. you absolutely get the sense that you're working with a force greater than yourself and that it's on your team. And that's, that's a very, uh, it's a good, it's a good feeling. Yeah, I believe grounding is a term they use in reference to that, going out and uh, making fish with your toes and grounding your feet in the grass and it makes you more connected with the earth and and centers you and has actually given rise to a a market that I'm sure is probably pretty uh, exploitative of those grounding mats that people can buy on Amazon now. I'm like, I don't know if that's going to be the same effect. <laughs> you know, plug into the wall. Seriously, I saw that and I was like, I don't, I think maybe we should actually hear the call, heed the call and go and put our hands and feet in that dirt and connect with the giant spinning magnet, which is an electricity generator that the earth is. We're electrical. There's so much to it we don't understand. So why not just take it for what it obviously is? And it's a part of what we what we were supposed what we grew up on, what we were supposed to be a part of. There was an NFL football player a couple of seasons ago, maybe three years ago, who quit after a couple of seasons and he went and bought a farm. And he's been, he said he just wanted to get, he wanted to create something, wanted to get his hands in the ground, wanted to grow a farm. He gave up millions of dollars. He didn't make wow. millions the first few seasons, but gave up yeah. mil- I mean, he only played a couple of seasons. He was a young guy and he was, he was ahead of the game for sure, like you are, Christian. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So what can people, can you tell people kind of like how to keep track of you? Because it looks like you're uh, uh, in the crosshairs. I will. Yeah. You're just reminding me. They also make these shoes that have little holes like where your heel is just so you can always be, have part of your body in touch with the ground, like grounding shoes. That's pretty funny. Um, And then as far as like important things that just we want to throw into the last second, soybeans are actually one of the things that are really critical right now. And Uh it's astonishing that um, while we see headlines out of China, like we're going to use geoengineering, this goes back to your point, Monica, we're going to use geoengineering and cloud seeding to get rainfall over an area even larger than India is what they're now doing in China. So clearly, clearly we have the ability to, <laughs> yes. to manifest precipitation at will. Right. And yet we have these droughts that are taking out the, the food supply in the world. So yeah. that, that alone tells you that there's a real problem here, that there's a concerted effort, a controlled demolition of the food supply and should absolutely motivate us all to be uh, focusing part of our energies on uh, growing food and on ensuring that we have any legal structures and everything we can do, whatever it is you have experience with, we need your expertise now to make sure that we can all be growing food and feeding our communities right now. So um, having said that, yeah, you can still find me. I've got my own privately hosted website on iceagefarmer.com where I post all my research and updates. And uh, it also is where that wiki is that has a bunch of information about the history of the grand solar minimum and the science behind it and things like that. I still do somehow have the YouTube channel right now, Ice Age Farmer, but um, I expect that's only a matter of time. So I will, yeah, I would direct people to (laughs) iceagefarmer.com. And thank you for that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm really blown away that you're able to talk to us because I know I'm your telegram, everything just blew up overnight because people were looking for you. And it was, it's just so telling how important your work is that they can't tolerate you, a very peaceful and truthful person with no 
no overarching political agenda other than to educate people to a fundamental truth that is being used against us and that we have every right to understand. So I, I urge people to investigate your work, to listen to your, any of the media you put out and stuff. It's been really an education and a, a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Christian. I appreciate Thanks that. Thank you, Monica. Thanks for, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you both. 